You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. So, our New Testament reading this morning is going to be Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Please stand for the reading of God's Word, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our Old Testament reading and scripture reading for today is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So so Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand. And Padaiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Jerabiah, Jamin, Akab, Jebathiah, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words and that were declared to them. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Let me pray for us again for this time in God's word. Father, uh, we are grateful to be your people. We are grateful to be the people of a joyful God, a God who loves joy, who sends fat and sweet wine to his people, a God who has pleasures in store for his people for all eternity. And so now, God, as we come to your word, would you prepare us for this day uh, through your word? Would you instill joy in our hearts? Would you make us a joyful people this morning? Would you give me clear words to speak? Would your spirit be here at work delivering your word to your people? And we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Jonathan Helvoit. I'm the pastor of New Covenant Church here in Denver, uh, North Denver, and uh, it is an honor to be able to deliver God's word to you this morning. Uh, and it's also been an honor, uh, just to say this now, to be uh, singing and, and leading music here. It's been a delight. Uh, you all are, are wonderful singers, uh, and the Lord is, is honored by, uh, by your worship. So thank you for giving me a part in that over the last few months, and I'm grateful to be, to be preaching here this morning from God's word in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, I think, will be a nice thing for us in this season, uh, in between Thanksgiving and, and the Advent season. Right now, this morning, I want you to join me in girding up the loins of your mind. Today, we are going to learn to rejoice, to learn to be a joyful people. Uh, joy, perhaps, in this world where the curse remains can be something that doesn't come automatically to us. And so we must be a people who mount up into it and, um, and take it on willingly. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And as we do so, I want to ask you something. Uh, are you sad this morning? Are you sad this morning? Do you have grief in your heart? Uh, the answer to that question might be different depending on who you are. And the reason for that sadness might also be different depending on who you are. Uh, perhaps uh, you've been toiling with sin. Perhaps the weight of your sin is such that you are, are conquering it and yet the weight of what you have done lingers on your heart and you feel the weight of what you've done and you can't get up under it. And being at church this morning is a reminder of that. Uh, perhaps tragedy has struck uh, maybe recently or maybe severely in a time past and it's been a difficult thing to get over. Uh, perhaps that you are not receiving the desires of your heart. Perhaps you're lonely. Perhaps you are poor. Perhaps you, uh, your job is painful. Uh, perhaps you've been struck by some ailment that reminds you day in and day out that you are not comfortable, uh, reminds you day in and day out that you are still alive and in pain. And perhaps this is the reason for your sadness, or perhaps you are happy, and this is good and great. Um, all of this, uh, we will all, if you're not in sadness this morning, certainly sadness will befall you at some time in the future. And if you are happy now, uh, pain 
and sorrow are on their way. And so, uh, but fortunately, God's word is not oblivious to this fact. And so we're going to spend time under the command that Nehemiah gives to the people here this morning, and that is rejoice for the day is holy and the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So let's, let's, settle, let's settle in this this morning. But before I do, I want to give, uh, just I want to make it easy on you to receive the word to rejoice because sometimes when you're in sadness, the command to rejoice uh, might not settle in well for you. Have you ever been told uh, to cheer up? And perhaps you've heard, don't tell somebody who's crying just to stop crying. That's not the appropriate way to counsel somebody who's crying. Uh, Perhaps you've found the words cheer up to be uh, void and vapid and not really helpful, and the person clearly doesn't understand your situation. Yet, this morning, we have Nehemiah saying this very thing to a weeping people, stop crying. And so, to receive that well, I'm just going to give you a little bit of of comfort from the rest of scripture, and that is that the Bible is not oblivious to sadness, all right? So God's word says that on the day the bridegroom is no longer with the disciples, they would fast, right? But that is not our passage today. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and this is true, uh, but this is not our passage for today. Jesus himself is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That is not our passage today. Solomon says it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, but for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. This is true. And this is something that we need to know. And this is something that won't be denied by the passage today. Nevertheless, this is not our passage today. If you have not meditated long on the necessary task of weeping and self-affliction through fasting or of proper grieving, then you need to take a moment and write that down, and you need to study it and meditate on that later. This is something that you're going to need to do because the Bible is not oblivious to suffering. You must set yourself to know that part of this Christian life and know it well. The Bible is full of instruction and exhortation unto proper sorrow. So I say that today because... I'm going to say things boldly about rejoicing, and you might be tempted to think, ah, but the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. And yes, it does. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's true. So in agreeing with all of that, we're going to speak boldly about joy this morning. The Bible is true, all of it, all of it at the same time, including, and not limited to, Nehemiah chapter eight. So let me remind us of this passage. We're going to actually focus on verses nine through 12, says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, And drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites came, uh, calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. 
So this is our passage this morning. We're going to give a little bit of context for this. And then we're going to, the main, the main chutzpah of this passage is do not grieve and rejoice. That's the command. And there's reasons for it. The reasons for it are that it's a holy day for the Lord. And it's also, and it's also that the joy of Yahweh is our strength. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna give some context. We're gonna spend time on the first reason. Then we're gonna spend time on the meat of it. And then we're gonna follow it up with the final reason. So it's a little bit of a strange structure this morning, but I, th- I think it'll flow well. Uh, so today is holy to the Lord. Therefore, do not grieve, rejoice, because the joy of Yahweh is our strength. So the context that we have of Nehemiah saying this is that the people have not been following the law. Now there's a lot to this, the people have actually just come back from Israel, from, from exile, rather. The people have just come back from exile and they have not been following the law because they, they were taken away from the temple. The temple was destroyed. They were sent into exile. And then years later, Ezra and Nehemiah come. Ezra comes in the rebuilding of the temple and Nehemiah comes and brings back the walls of Jerusalem and the exiles are brought back from exile. And they're brought into this land. And why were they sent into exile in the first place? They weren't sent into exile in the first place because they were obeying the law of God, uh, but rather the opposite. They went into exile because God was very displeased with the behavior of his people. And they were sent into exile, not following the law. And then in this time of exile, they were away from the temple and Jerusalem where a lot of the law was centered around obeying. And so they were sent away from the blessing of the temple. They were sent away from the presence of the Lord. They were sent away from the law and its regular teaching. They were sent away from it. And in so doing, they spent time not obeying the law of the Lord. So then the temple is erected, the walls are rebuilt, and the people of exile are brought in. And everything, you can see it, and there's great weeping for joy and mourning over the loss of the last temple and also for joy for being returned. And here we are, we're brought back and the law of God is read, much like it has been read this morning. Um, The law of God was read just, uh, Ezra, I believe, is the one who's just reading from the book of the law clearly and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This This is what is happening here. And they're sitting under it and what starts to happen? They're cut to the quick. They understand the words of the law. They see the law of God read clearly and they understood it. And it says that they gave their amens to the law. So they understand the law. They agree with the law. They know the law and they're grieved in their heart. And they're grieved in their heart and they're brought to bitter weeping over hearing the law of God. What a, what a thing to be, to be separated from it and then been brought back into it and to, to hear it and to just look back on the last many years of your life and the years of the people before that and just to hear how your people do not align with the character of God. And they haven't for many years. And grief comes into their hearts. Oh, we see this, there's a little foreshadowing, a little bit of this with Josiah in, in Kings, Second Kings, Chapter 22, 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 11 through 13. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. 
And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, go inquire of Yahweh for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do all according to all that is written concerning us. So this is the situation. And we might say, and we I think would be right to say in line with King David, or not King David, King Josiah, that the right response to hearing the words of the law and recognizing that you have not been keeping it is weeping. That's a good response. To tear your clothes, to hear this is sorrow. It's great grief. And now, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. Do not mourn or weep. This is the response to this weeping, is Nehemiah saying, don't do it. Don't weep. Now's the time for eating fat and drinking wine and rejoicing. And why did he say that? He said that because the day was holy to Yahweh your God. So uh, why is the day holy? Well, first of all, in the law that they just read, they would have read that this right here at the beginning um, You'll see at, uh, uh, right before chapter eight, it says, and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. So this is, this is the first day of the seventh month, otherwise known as the Feast of Trumpets, which they had just heard in the law as they're listening to it, is a day that is holy to the Lord. This is uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Leviticus 23. Let's just get a little bit of context here as well. Leviticus 23, 23 through 25. Uh, If you'll notice, if you're looking in your Bible and it's got little headings, this Feast of Trumpets is right in the middle of a bunch of feasts that are going on, right? And in in verse 23, it says, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to Yahweh. So this day is already set apart as a day of solemn rest. They're not to do any work, and it's a, a day of trumpets. There's a day, uh, there's, there's rejoicing built into it anyway. But also, on top of this being the, the feast of trumpets, and on top of that, we also have the exiles have just returned. We just had this temple rebuilt. We have the walls rebuilt. The exiles are just in. Everything's, we're back. We're back, and we're here, and Right now we're reading the law of the Lord, which is a good thing to be doing. Here we are, your return to the law. Now you have the law and you have the temple and the means to obey and you haven't for a long time. Here we are. We're, there's a dedication of the temple that's going on. There's the feast of trumpets and this day will not be spent in grief. That's, that's the response that Nehemiah is giving. It's not that grief is never a responsible thing to do on even a holy day of the Lord, there's going to be days later where it says that you, they will need to afflict themselves. The day of atonement is coming up. It's in 10 days. In 10 days, there's a, a day of fasting that's, that's coming up in 10 days. But this day, uh, this day where the exiles have returned, this day where it's a feast of trumpets, this day where the temple has been rebuilt and we're back and we're hearing from the law of the Lord, we are not going to grieve. We are going to feast. That's what's happening. And Nehemiah, as the governor, and Ezra, and the Levites, got together and said, we're not going to cry today. Wipe your tears. Don't cry. 
Uh, this is a day of rejoicing. This is a day that is holy to the Lord. What does it mean for something to be holy? Something to be holy is something that is set apart, something that is devoted to the glory of Yahweh. Now, is it such that every day is not holy to the Lord? Well, in a real sense, every day is the Lord's, uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And God causes the sun to rise and to set, and he causes this every day. And every day we uh, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy unto the Lord. So what is, what is this? This is a day that God has set aside for his, uh, devoted to him for a specific purpose. And God does this a lot. So I was um, at a coffee shop yesterday, and uh, I was talking with the, uh, one of the workers there, and she said, how was your Thanksgiving? And I said, oh, it was great. We had family over, and we were able to feast and these sorts of things. And I said, how was yours? And she said, it's great. It's just sad that we only give thanks one day a year. And I said, oh, we should be giving thanks every day. <laughs> That's not good. We can, we can be giving thanks every day. Are you thankful today? Yes, I'm thankful today. And there was this idea that if we set aside a day for Thanksgiving, therefore the rest of the days are uh, annulled of Thanksgiving, Right? But that's not what a, a devoted day is, right? You have a birthday for your child. Are you grateful that your child's born one day a year? I hope not. You should repent if that's the case for you, right? Uh, you're, you're grateful that your child's born every day, uh, but there's a day that's set, that set aside for the remembrance of, of your child's birth, right? Uh, there's the Passover that God does uh, that he had the people remember year, year after year. He has the day, uh, the Sabbath day is a representation of the day that he, right in the beginning, he set aside a day for something. He's, um, he's setting it aside for a specific thing. The Lord's day is now something that we're doing right now. We're setting aside this day as the first fruit of our week. Uh, and we've done this with the church that has done this since the resurrection of our Lord, right? We, we set aside Sunday as a day devoted to Yahweh, the Lord's day, devoted to the gathering and the singing and the feasting and the, and the hearing of God's word. This is a thing that God does regularly. This is, a, this is a built into creation. God has seasons, God has morning and evening, and he has calendar days. And if you look through the Old Testament, the severity of the number of feast days is almost unbearable. The, if you look at your, if you look through Leviticus, we looked at the Feast of Trumpets, which is a feast. It's a feast day right there in the middle of it. And uh, it's preceded by another feast. And then it's proceeded by another feast. And if you look through there, it's almost a third of the year is just spent feasting. This is just God has put together where people are going to not work and they're going to eat and they're going to eat well. Just a lot. And he said, you're going to do it on the, seventh, on the first day of this month, and you're going to do it again on the tenth day of this month. And you're going to set it aside, and you're going to be feasting and rejoicing, because my people are going to be a rejoicing, feasting people. That's God. That's his generosity. That's what he does. Is he, he sees that we're here, and we, uh, we are toiling, and the ground is cursed, and we're working day in and day out. And then he's going to say, you're going to be tempted to work every day. And you're going to feel like you need to work every day. Uh, but I'm going to make sure that you don't work every day. And then I'm going to make sure that you are disobedient to me if you're not eating really, really well, uh, very regularly. This is the generosity and severe mercy of your God. 
and he sets aside different days for different things. And the way that we behave on this day, Nehemiah is saying that the way that we're gonna behave as a people on this day, this day where the exiles are returned and this day is holy to the Lord and this feast of trumpets, the way we're gonna do it is we're not gonna spend the day crying. We're not gonna spend the day crying. Stop crying. And in fact, you're not gonna just not cry and just kind of hold it together, but you're gonna eat fat and you're gonna drink wine and you're gonna make sure everybody has it. Because today is devoted to Yahweh and Yahweh is a God of joy. Yahweh's people will have smiles on their faces and they will not be fake. And we're gonna get into that here in a minute. Today, these folks are going to set apart this day for Yahweh with festal joy. And so you have to ask yourself, in, as we're talking about days that are devoted to Yahweh, did those days devoted to Yahweh stop when Jesus came? Did they? No, they did not. The days devoted to Yahweh did not stop when Jesus came and rose from the dead. And right now, is there something in your week where there is the reading of the law, where there is a feast of wine, where there's a gathered assembly of God's people represented being brought out of exile? Is there something like that that you experience on a semi-regular basis? Think carefully. You're here now. Here you are. Today is holy and devoted to Yahweh. The first fruits of your week are devoted to Yahweh. And you should ask yourself, do I come with the right demeanor to God's holy day? Do I do that? Because one thing that we're about to get into that's really uh, tricky and difficult is that God expects us to shepherd our emotions. Today is holy to the Lord. And then also on top of that, we have other calendar days and there's days that the church at large has just chosen to devote to the glory of Yahweh, to devote to feasting. And your church might be slightly different than other churches in the days that they choose to, uh, to um, treat as holy and maybe they're right or wrong depending on the church, right? But nevertheless, this church, your church, has, has seen fit to rejoice on certain days. And one of those days was this last week in Thanksgiving. It's very good to do. Uh, And one of those days is coming up. So we're right smack in the middle of a few right here. And so you have to ask yourself, are you prepared to uh, enter these holy days rightly? Are you prepared to rejoice and to not cry? Um, So this is the first reasoning is that the day is holy to the Lord. And now we're going to get into the meat of stopping crying and rejoicing. Uh, God is not oblivious to difficulty, right? God is not oblivious to your sin. God is not oblivious to all these things. And it's uh, because of this that he commands rejoicing. It's because of this that he commands rejoicing. So on this holy day to the Lord, we're called to rejoice and be glad because the day is holy to the Lord and the joy of Yahweh is our strength. We're told to stop crying. Uh, these people were told to stop crying, and I think that that applies along God's people on his holy days that are devoted to feasting. So can somebody require that you stop crying? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Because what that implies is an ability to stop crying. Uh, God is not such a God that would tell you to do something that you, that's impossible. I mean, in, in a real way, uh, 
in our fallen state, he is, he's given us, um, uh, in, in a fallen state, we are incapable of pleasing God without faith, right? But now I'm talking specifically to Christians, all right? And you need to, this needs to be really clear. We're talking about, about those who have the spirit of God within them. Uh, you are called to rejoice because you have been given a great reason to be joyful. And as a Christian who has been given the spirit of God, you get certain fruits, right? You get love and you get joy. That, that, that comes with the package of the Holy Spirit. But then all the way towards the end of that list, we get something called self-control. And self-control, we, I, there's a narrative in our culture, and hopefully you have not bought into this narrative, and that narrative is that our emotions are something that happens to us that we have no control over. Uh, they're like birds landing on our heads, and, and we can try to bat them away, but they, they happen to us. Is this the way that the Bible talks about emotions? Uh, does God give us commands over, over our emotions? Because what we're also told is you don't want to just put a smile on because that's a charade. Like you need to let people know how you really are, right? And that's true. We don't want to be a deceptive people. We, we don't want to bear false witness. Uh, but nevertheless, the, uh, Nehemiah is telling people to stop crying. But won't stopping crying be a charade for these people? They're actually really sad. Won't it be a charade for them to like smile that evening and, and drink sweet wine and eat food? And are, isn't that just a game of pretend? Is that what God's calling you to, is a life of pretending? To go out and experience the real world as it is and then come to church and put a big smile on and just make sure you look a certain way and you're, you, you, you know, kick your heels together when you need to kick your heels together? Is that what God's calling you to? No, I don't think he is. God gives us all sorts of exhortations and commands not to feel a certain way. He says, do not be afraid. I mean, if you just look at uh, do not be, if you just do a, a, like a search on a Bible app, do not, be, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, do not be terrified, do not be grieved, do not be surprised, do not be deceived, are just regular commands for the Lord, from the Lord. But the world will tell us if, you, if you're depressed, that depression might last forever. And, and that's something that you can't get out of. And if you're in grief, that grief is always going to be there and you, you won't quite ever get out of it. And people will actually make a, a ton of money on making sure that you are sad perpetually. Uh, but this is not what God calls us to. This is not what God calls us to. God calls us to stop crying. So let me ask you this. When the people are crying, when they're hearing the words of the law, was it sinful for them to grieve when they hear the law of God? No, right? We have the example of Josiah. It's, we have the example of blessed are those who mourn. It, it's good to, it, to hate sin. That's a part of our repentance is to hate sin and to acknowledge that you've sinned and to see that you fall short is proper grief. Now let me ask you this. Would it have been sinful for them to continue doing so after Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites told them to stop crying? I believe the answer is yes. They were given commands by uh, by those that were in authority over them. They were given a command to stop crying. Uh, and so what we have to believe here is that God will give the means for genuine rejoicing, even in the midst of sorrow and even in the midst of real good godly sorrow over sin. You might have sorrow because life's not going your way and you might have sorrow because you're grumbling 
And that might be a bad thing for you to be feeling, right? You might be angry sinfully. You might be anxious sinfully. You might be sorrow sinfully, but you might also be sad rightly. And God is still commanding a type of rejoicing. This is, this is what God commands, and God will give the way, the means by which you are to obey his commands. So we rejoice. But what are the means that God gives here to rejoice in such circumstances? And the answer might surprise you. Uh, he says to eat the fat, drink the sweet, and give and send the portions. That's what he says. Eat fat, drink sweet, give the portions. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for the day is holy to our Lord. This is important for us to get, and that is a feeling is not just genuine when it happens accidentally. A feeling is not just genuine when it happens accidentally. Do you happen to feel happy? Ah, there, there's the real happiness. But have you cultivated happiness? Well, that's not real happiness. That, that's something that you cultivated. But when we act like the Lord, we shepherd our emotions. God himself is angry. God himself is joyful. God himself mourns. But God himself is not flying off the handle and subject to the emotions as they land on him. But God feels angry rightly, all the time. God feels joyful rightly all the time. God feels sorrow rightly all the time. And we were made in his image and we were given self-control. We were given love, joy, peace, patience, and all this. And we're going to see as we go that God has given us very, the very reason to rejoice because our rejoicing is not pretending that everything is okay, but our rejoicing as we're going to see is faith that everything is okay. Because if your rejoicing is tied simply to your momentary, immediate experience, then you might believe that everything is not okay, but your actual immediate experience is that you have been saved by Jesus Christ. You've been given a Holy Spirit. You've been given, uh, you, you're in submission to a king who is taking over the world with righteousness. You've been given the ability to be righteous. You have uh, a kingdom with pleasures forevermore are coming. This is your background reality. So we're not asking, and Nehemiah is not asking that they stop crying and pretend that everything's okay, but to stop crying and rejoice because God is doing something. God, in his sovereignty, didn't leave them in exile. He brought them into a place, and that's worth rejoicing about. God is then, it's also, I think, a picture and a, a shadow of what's going to come, and that is that we will one day uh, not be, we'll be freed from sin, right? Your deliverance from sin is what's going to cause this rejoicing, and you can eat fat and drink sweet wine while in this cursed world, knowing that you are reconciled with God. So that's a little a teaser of what's going to come in the joy of Yahweh as we go, but we're going to talk about means here, and this means is that, uh, that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites don't just say, stop crying, be happy, and go on your way. They say, don't grieve, eat sweet wine, or eat, eat fat and drink sweet wine, and send the portions. This is something that God, in his mercy, has given his people for the sake of shepherding their emotions. This is a nice thing. 
I want you to think about eating fat for a second. I want you to think about eating fat. It did not have to be so good, but it is. I want you to think about the last incredible meal that you had. Some of you, it was more recent than others. But think about it, and you know what it is. For me, uh, the one that comes to mind, uh, just off the top, is um, we were given a gift card to this steakhouse in Durango called the Ore House, and it, uh, Ryan and I went for our anniversary, and we ordered the steaks, and they come out, and the potatoes and everything, and you cut into this meat, and it just cuts just perfectly. The knife goes through it. It's perfectly medium rare. And, and there's something on this meat, actually, and it's the fat of the meat. And when I was growing up, not having this incredible steakhouse, just having a steak that my mom would prepare, which she was excellent at preparing many things, but we weren't really well off. And so fat was often like the gristle. Fat was like the stuff that you, that you throw aside. It's just rubber. That it doesn't, doesn't bring you any joy. But the fat on a well-cooked steak of just a perfect cut... It just, it melts in your mouth. Do you know what I'm talking about? And maybe you don't know that kind of cut of meat, but you know something like this where you're in a conversation and then you put it in your mouth and then you just have to stop for a second and you're like caught off guard and your heart flutters a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Where you just, and you're not sure if it's real. You're kind of feeling like this can't be as good as it feels, but it's so good. If you guys had a meal like that, you guys tasted of something like that, This, it didn't have to be that way, right? But God designed meat in a certain way. And God designed something such that we can see that this meat, something had to die for me to be nourished. That points to something. That absolutely points to something. That something died and that brings me nourishment. But while I'm participating in its nourishment, it's flooding me with joy. It didn't have to be that way. God could have made it very utilitarian. Go and, and eat the slop, right? But he didn't tell us to eat the slop. He said, eat the fat. Eat the stuff that's going to fill your heart with delight. What do we see about wine? Psalm 104. You all know this. Presbyterians here, right? Psalm 104. Uh, just for your blessing, uh, this is a Baptist preaching to you about wine here for a second. Psalm 104, 14 through 15 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine is designed for the gladdening of the heart of man because God cares if his people are gladdened. And then he decided that this very thing that he made would be used for his people regularly whenever they gathered together to remember his son. And it would just, without their, it's almost, I mean, whether or not they want it or not, gladness is coming to you every week as you gather. We will drink wine together today and that will glad, that is designed by God, everything Designed by God has a purpose, and the purpose of wine is to make you happy. That's what it's made for. Uh, And it goes on even in Proverbs, Proverbs 31, 6 through 7. 
Proverbs 31, 6 through 7. It says, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Think about what that's saying. Give strong drink to those who are in misery so that they can forget the gladness? No, so they can forget their misery, right? He's not, this isn't advocating for blacking out, right? This isn't advocating for drinking such that you forget everything. It's saying drink so you forget your misery. Give it to the man who is miserable and let him drink so he forgets his misery, to black out is to forget the gladness, right? That's, you're, you're missing, the only time that you're forgetting is the time where your spirit was lightened, right? That's not what God calls us to. He wants us to be glad. And that's what he gave us wine for. And we partake in that together. And this is a remembrance of Jesus Christ's death. And that's what the meat and the fat reminds us of. Something died, someone died, and their body and their blood nourishes us and as a consequence of that we are brought actual reigning joy actual joy within the death that's there do you see that that it's all it's all tied together and this isn't accidental and so he says go stop crying and you know what i'm gonna help go and eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions. Send portions to anyone who doesn't have any, anything ready. Because today we're feasting. And God's people aren't going to lack. And there's not going to be a person here that's in Jerusalem, that's brought in from exile, that's going to miss out on this. Because we're all going to be happy today. We're all going to rejoice today. Everyone, the, everyone. Maybe you don't have anything because you're impoverished. Maybe you don't have anything because you were lazy. Maybe you don't have anything because you're catastrophe. Nothing is going to stop the rejoicing that's going to happen today. Remember, today, uh, in the Feast of Trumpets, today was supposed to be a day of rest, so they were all supposed to be ready for this. But there are going to be people who aren't ready. And it's not like we're going to say, no, those people don't get anything because they weren't properly prepared. They're all weeping because they're not keeping the law. And he said, we all understand that we haven't been keeping the law, but today, we're rejoicing. Today, we're rejoicing in God's people, and nothing's going to stop it. God's generous people are going to make sure that no one among God's people lacks what is necessary for obedience. And that obedience is that we're going to rejoice today and we're going to stop crying. And if you have two shirts, give it to the one who has none. And if you have two steaks, give one to the one who doesn't have one. If you have a vat of wine, you're going to make sure that that guy sitting over there who doesn't have the wine ready has the wine. And we see this represented in communion. Paul, Paul says this, this is discerning the body. We're not cutting ourselves off as we get to the table. We're not pushing each other aside. We're not getting bread while others go hungry. We're sending portions to everybody. Everybody in this room, everybody who is God's, one of God's people in this room will receive wine and bread today, every single one. And there's nobody gonna be tripped over to get so. Why? Because we're here to rejoice. We're here to feast on God's son's body and blood. Jesus Christ died And he rose from the dead, bringing joy. He did so for what? For the joy that's set before him. And he's going to share that inheritance of joy with his people. And he's going to do it every week until he comes back. That's what God is doing. Why? Because today is holy. And because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, dear Christian... Let this nourish you and lean into that joy as you come in. As you're, as you're preparing the night before the holy day, prepare for the holy day. And part of the preparing the holy day is we're going to be joyful tomorrow. 
Okay, so what are we going to do to be joyful tomorrow? Well, out of obedience, and this is a command. I'm, I'm sharing law with you right now, right? This is a command that you're going to be joyful on Sunday mornings. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do about that? Well, don't fight with your wife, probably. Uh, but things are going up. Oh, well, oh, we're, we need to wrestle with this. We need to just act with gentle care towards one another as we're, as we're leading into. That doesn't mean just be dismissive. That doesn't mean deal with things. Uh, don't deal with things, but deal with things knowing that tomorrow we got to be ready for joy. That means get to bed at a, at a godly hour, right? Get to bed at a time in which you're not going to be just drained the next day. Set things up. Get things ready. Get the milk bottles ready for the kids. Get things ready so that the next morning it's not a panic rush where things are going to go wrong and things are going to break and things aren't, aren't great. Get things ready so that tomorrow, tomorrow we're, we're a joyful family. That's what's happening. Uh, prepare your heart to eat bread and drink wine. Uh, this is actually a huge deal in our, in our culture, but you need to work diligently to rejoice in the food that God has given you to rejoice in. Uh, the Bible says that all food is, uh, nothing is to be uh, rejected uh, if it's received with thanksgiving. So let me ask you this. If your people are feasting with you, so if you're going to have a potluck, if you're going to Rejoice in the feasting, because feasting is going to happen. You're going to be feasting over Christmas. You're going to be think- feasting over Thanksgiving. You're going to be feasting over the- all these things. You need to be ready to eat what's put in front of you with joy. Uh, and that means uh, you need to work on not being a picky eater. That needs to happen. I'm telling you, folks, this is, this is part of the Christian life is not being a picky eater. God has given all these foods to be enjoyed with Thanksgiving. And to not enjoy a food is a form of suffering. And you should see it that way. It's not a cute part of your personality to not like a certain kind of food. It's, it's, it's ingratitude is what it is. Now, there are foods that right now I don't automatically enjoy, much like there are seasons in my life where I don't have rejoicing in my bones, right? But, I'm, but we gotta be working on that. If I don't like celery, I gotta try to eat celery and thank God for it every time and try different recipes until I like that celery. And it works, it does work. There are many foods that I have eaten that I have hated before that just with patience and thanksgiving, you can just learn to like them. Why? Because God made them to be liked. So this is, this is heavy, but just be training your body and your mind and your heart to rejoice, to be thankful. Because it's really hard to be thankful for something that you're like, no, I don't want any of that, thanks. Like that thanks is the don't give me that. And that's not the same kind of thanks that we're after, Right? It's hard. It's hard work to rejoice. It's hard work to like the things that God wants you to like. It's, it's hard to receive blessing from the Lord, uh, but it's a worthy work. And if you haven't been working on that, here's your exhortation to do so. Uh, it's good. So we're a people that are preparing our hearts for festivity. This is, this is important and this is good. And now we're going to see the other reason for this is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. First off, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the creature rather than the creator is not your strength. Right? So Satan, in his craftiness, loves to deceive and he loves to, to, to twist things and get things close. Uh, you can love food for the wrong reasons. You can love wine for the wrong reasons. You can love wine wrongly. You can love food wrongly. You can be a glutton. You can be a drunkard. You can be a lazy person who's, who's taking rest days uh, all day, every week, and then getting to the rest days, and it's another one of your rest days. 
right? There, there are ways to sin in these regards. But this is the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's the key. When you're participating in eating the steak, when you're participating in eating the mushrooms or the Brussels sprouts or, or whatever it is that you're working on loving, you're, you're, you're participating in it to feast on the things that your king has given you out of delight in him. And you're remembering and you're giving thanks to God. Thanksgiving will kind of cure most of the, the issues. If you're drinking a glass of wine with thanksgiving to the Lord in your heart for that glass of wine, it is much, much harder to abuse it. It just is. If you're giving thanks with your meal and you're bowing your head and you're, and you're giving thanks and you're genuinely grateful and expressing gratitude towards your Lord for that food, it's going to be much, much harder uh, to use it for a sinful gain. It will be. Uh, so make the joy of Yahweh is your strength. We are people who, uh, who are worshipers of the creator and not the creature. Philippians 4, which we read this morning, but I'll tie it in again here. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It says, rejoice in Yahweh, or rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So this is also a much stronger thing than what I'm saying, which, but Paul's also saying this, so keep this in mind. You need to be rejoicing always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about any, anything, but what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you tempted to be anxious? Are you tempted to be riddled with guilt? Are you tempted to be fearful? Are you tempted to be angry? Are you tempted to be wrongfully sad? Make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And that's to keep you from grumbling, right? This is, this is what we see in the Psalms. All throughout the Psalms, you say, oh, it looks like David's grumbling here. But he's, he's making his requests with thanksgiving. That's what, David's, that's what David's doing constantly. Whereas the grumblers are just saying, I want this and I'm not getting this. But David's saying, I want this, I'm not getting this, but I'm very grateful and I trust you, right? Thank you for getting me thus far and you will certainly deliver me. This is the kind of thankfulness that we approach our lives in. This is, this is the call to joy of Yahweh. Thanksgiving and rejoicing the joy of Yahweh is your strength. That's what they tell these people. And this is what I'm telling you today, is that the joy of Yahweh is your strength. And what is the strength for? There's many things, but the, the immediate context of Nehemiah is the law, right? The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Weeping over the law is not your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength in keeping the law. The joy of the Lord is your strength in enduring suffering. You know these passages. You, you should know them, where, the, where you rejoice in your sufferings. Why do you rejoice in your sufferings? Because you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Why do you rejoice when those persecute you? Because you will receive your reward. Your, the joy of Yahweh is your strength. And this is, this is paramount and key in bolstering your faith, in enduring through the law, in enduring the hardship, in making in obedience, you are not going to get to obedience through gritting your teeth and clenching your fists, but you're going to get through there in rejoicing. 
That's, that's how you get there, in faith. You didn't get to salvation through gritting your teeth and bearing, uh, clenching your fists. You got there through faith. And faith is how you're going to succeed in the law. And rejoicing is manifesting faith. This is, this is what this is. So I want you to think for a second about Narnia. Uh, Narnia, always winter, never Christmas. Right? That's, that's where they were at. And there are people and creatures presumably that were born in the always winter, never Christmas season, right? They were born having never seen the green grass. They never saw green grass. They never saw the sunshine uh, without through the clouds, right? It was always cold. There wasn't a day when one of the fawns didn't have to scrape its windshield, right? This is the nature of being there. And right now you and I have been born into a cursed world. We never saw Eden. We didn't see the Garden of Eden. And we've been born, and it can be tempting to think that this is God's, like how God made the world. It's tempting to think that Aslan made Narnia as a winter wonderland, but he didn't make it as a winter wonderland. Uh, he made it as a garden and, and, other, and other such things. And this world that we're in right now, we are born into this cursed world, but what joy, and if, you're, if the curse is all there is, then your joy is flippant. Your joy is naive. Your joy is not a representation that your, uh, that your reasonableness be shown to everyone. It's not reasonable to be joyful in a land that is only curse. It's, it's, it's flippant. It's what the atheists make fun of us for, right? It's like, it's not reasonable for you to be joyful. It's not reasonable for you to have hope after this life. But... Uh, Paul tells us to, to rejoice always and let our reasonableness be shown to all. And it's reasonable to be joyful because you have faith that God is doing something, that, that there is a kingdom that is coming, that the one who made the world is coming again. You have faith that Jesus Christ came and dealt with all your sins. And so now when you hear the words of the law, you can rejoice. Why? Well, it's not because you've nailed it, but because you are righteous and justified before the Lord. And that's how he sees you. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That's where your joy comes from. Because your joy is not tethered to a fiction or a naivete, but a, a bigger reality. Your reality is that you are forgiven for your sins, Christian. Your sins have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. And so when you hear the law of God, you can rejoice. Because this law of God is how God sees you. Why are you rejoicing? Because God will judge your enemies. That vengeance is coming. That the wicked are not going to get away from their wickedness. That's true. If it were not true, your rejoicing would be meaningless. But it is true. You have eternal life coming to you and pleasure forevermore coming to you. That's a guarantee by the spirit of God that's been put inside you. And you will receive a reward for your deeds. The one who made you and shapes you and puts those deeds in front of you and all you do is you just gobble them up on your way to eternity, that God is going to reward you for doing the deeds that he set up for you. This is your life. This is pleasures forevermore. Reconciliation with God. And when you come here week after week after week as a holy day before the Lord and you're gonna hear the law of God read and you're gonna hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're gonna feast on his bread and his wine, it's good and fitting for you to rejoice. And that rejoicing is a testament that I believe this. And that faith, that rejoicing is, is bolstering the faith and giving you strength to endure and to obey 
God. This is the backbone of your faith, is joy. This is what you need. Let me ask you this. Those of you who are tired of fighting the same sin over and over and over again, and you fail over and over and over again, when you get up and you grit your teeth and you, and you clench your fists and you fight that sin, and you must be fighting that sin, and you must be mortifying that sin, but have you tried joy as a means by which you combat your sin? Oh, you young men who are in sexual sin, oh, you young women who are in anxiety, you, you, you struggle to the same thing over and over again, over again. Have you tried combating it with the fact that you are set apart, that you are not enslaved to your sin and rejoicing in that and going and drinking a glass of wine and remembering that God has set you apart, that God has delivered you from that sin that is pretending to put you in shackles yet again? Have you combated sin this way? Do you come to the table as a remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for you, knowing that you're totally free from your sin? That you are, that, let's say that you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you're, you're, and you can't get out of this grief and it's been years and you're still deep in the depression. God calls you to whine this morning. And to trust him, this command to rejoice always is a command that ought to give the griever uh, relief. It's not always that the laws of God bring relief. I mean, they do on an ultimate sense, but much of the time they, they feel burdensome. But the relief to the griever is that God himself, who knows the state of that child, who knows everything, is commanding you to rejoice. Because... Sometimes it feels like sadness is the responsible, Christian, pietistic thing to do. And to escape from that would be to deny the death that's happened, to deny the struggle in your relationships that you're dealing with, to deny that you've been sinful. But God himself, who knows all this, has told you it's time to rejoice. So, oh, griever, who thinks it's irresponsible and unrighteous to rejoice and to smile, the Lord is calling you this morning to smile. He's telling you to do it. And he knows what's right. Your righteousness is not to another God, it's to him. And that same God is telling you to smile. So I'm, I'm actually gonna tell you right now, uh, smile. I can see you. Everybody in this room, smile. Do you feel that little bit of joy coming up? Don't push it down. Don't push it down. This is a good and proper way to, for you to feel this morning. It's good to smile. It's good to sit in this, not in flippancy but in rejoicing in your King Jesus who reigns and who has delivered you from all your sin and will deliver you from all sorrow in times to come and gives you regular bread and wine to feast on. And so that's what we're going to do now. So let me pray for us as we get ready for communion.